Okay, sorry for the delay, and um, <clears throat> as usual, usual disclaimer, I did all my prayers. Oh, I need to actually pin myself. One more thing. There. So, I did all my prayers before, as usual, so that we can uh, just uh, go ahead and, um, um, you know, use... Do make the best of this hour, even if I'm ten minutes late. If everybody is, uh, everybody of the ones who are following me are fine, we can go ten minutes, you know, further. Uh, I wasn't expecting this uh, YouTube um, glitch. So today, for those who don't know, um, I am um, in the middle of a series of classes on the twenty-four gurus, uh, as listed in the eleventh um, canto of Bhagavatam. <clears throat> and uh, I did an introductory um, class and um, the first one was about earth as the guru and then this one is the second one about air the element air seen as the guru now I always expect people to know what the Bhagavatam verses say so that we can um, elaborate further on, on these concepts on one hand because you know the verses are already there the purports are already there but also because i find them a little dry they're all about you know air teaches me detachment because uh, it carries aromas but it's not you know it doesn't mingle with the aromas it just drops them and it's fine it's all fine but there is so much more that can be said about um you know air air as a guru and so I am uh, going to endeavor to just uh, show that all the while knowing what I've been saying all along that um, this series of classes which was supposed to be one class and now it's turning into 24 classes and I'm still wondering what I'll be saying about the moth it is going to be a nice exercise to see how the moth is our guru, how guru appears to me as a moth, as a child, as a prostitute. But that's precisely what I particularly care about, that we understand that, at least as far as I am concerned with this um, series of lectures, that it should be clear that it's an exercise in um, buddhi yoga. You know, Prabhupada was fond of saying that bhakti yoga means buddhi yoga, or the other way around, buddhi yoga means bhakti yoga. So basically, we're using our intellect <clears throat> as an aid, as a means to understand the absolute. And in as much as we apply our interact, intellect to the absolute, to God, and in service, obviously with a service attitude, because um, there's no way we will, we will ever be able to pierce the cover of the universe and really understand the transcendence with our material intellect but if you do it with an attitude of service that would be the real vehicle that would be you know buddhi yoga our buddhi our intellect are the rails but then the vehicle is um our seva i just made this one up now <laughs> but it works it, it makes sense so it's like a ramp that um you know, something, say a rocket is in a ramp, it, it rides on the ramp, it gains momentum, but then it goes in the air. So the vehicle is our seva. Through seva, we can make it through this material world. And then the rails end, the rails, the rails of our intellect end, and we just 
project into the spiritual world entirely based on our service attitude so that's how important it is but anyway as long as we are on the rails of the buddhi of our intellect this uh, buddhi yoga not just buddhi is not just uh, an intellectual exercise buddhi yoga means that we um, unite our intellect like I said, we focus it on the on transcendent, tra transcendental matter, <clears throat> and that's why it becomes a forms of yoga. And as long as we do that, and in the measure that we do that, it's bhakti. Because, you know, like I said at the beginning, that is the overarching teaching, that is the overarching point. Uh, it, as we engage our intellect to understand these uh, topics and to just draw a teaching then uh, we see our guru in other words i'm saying the air is not our guru in and of itself the moth the the, the land the earth and um, <clears throat> as i say in every in every class we walk on the earth ever since we were born we breathe air many times a minute like for the whole duration of our life we drink water we experience fire not all of us may have a direct experience of a prostitute or of a, of a, of a moth of you know a hunter but they are not the gurus per se right that that doesn't really mean oh the moth is my guru i need to revere the moth it's all about the vision of this Avadhuta, the Avadhuta who tells um, Yadu Maharaj, I think, yeah, Yadu Maharaj. I am like this, I am the way like the, I am because I have 24 gurus. In other words, he's saying my whole world is my guru. You know, there's a verse that ends in Vishwam Purnam Sukhayate. The whole world becomes an abode of joy. Sukhayate means it gives joy. It's a cause for joy. And that's very important. It's all about our attitude. And uh, the Savadhuta didn't really observe the land, the air, the prostitute, the pigeon, the hunter, and, uh, and get illumination. He was already uh, enlightened. He already had a transcendental outlook on life. And that's why the world talked to him as a guru. You know, like Mahaprabhu says, uh, he teaches us with this example that a blade of grass, I'm saying stuff that, uh, nothing like what I had prepared, but <laughs> that, is the, that is the power of, uh, of praying. I just pray that I'm an, a transparent instrument, and then it just goes the way it wants to go, and that's perfect the way it is. But anyway, Mahaprabhu says, he, he sees the grass, and the grass says you see i just bend and or actually grass trina would be like a broken straw it's just you, you you step on it and it snaps at least grass comes back up but straw on the street is just everybody steps on it it doesn't even complain now it doesn't mean that the straw is at the you know has the qualification for a guru no it's mahaprabhu's eyes they're they're that because of what he has in his heart he's like wow just see the straw the straw is higher than me the tree is higher than me more elevated than me look how tolerant he is so in the same with the same attitude with the same purity and attitude in his heart the savadhuta is seeing the whole world the whole world is talking to him as a guru and 
Or you could say he is posing himself in relation to the world as a disciple. And that's pretty much the key to success. So, um, now, given this premise, though, how is the air our guru? How should we learn from the air? And uh, I, will I will try to cover everything from material considerations all the way to the highest um, transcendental ones. And by highest, I mean, yes, spiritual, but also all the way to Vrindavan. If, I'm, if my intellect and, and uh, Krishna's mercy assist me. Okay, so, disclaimer, I have a bit of a headache, so that's why I'm talking slowly, and so good luck for the, lucky for the translator. Now, air, first of all, let me finish, let me wrap up what I was saying about the element earth. In the previous lesson, I showed how the earth is our guru. And um, I was given, I was saying that the earth represents all these uh, key words that I was saying, solidity, uh, firmness, um, immobility. And so the earth, as our guru is saying, focus, get to the core, get to the essence and uh, be heavy with knowledge, be, don't be disturbed by the distractions of the world because they're just distracting neon lights that they have nothing to do with your real nature so you should really focus on the core and um, and other things that I said however I had a bit of a realization when I closed this um, you know conference call and I lay on the on my bed and I thought let's see what's the next guru Actually, I looked at the end of the class. What's the next uh, element? The next guru going to be air. So just, um, you know, lazily I thought, I have one month, but how is the air my guru? And I realized that the air is exactly the opposite as, or air is exactly the opposite as earth. Because, somebody's speaking. Sorry. Um, the, the element air is exactly the opposite as the earth because, um, sorry, I got distracted. Um, yes, I made this analogy about the tarot, how in the tarot, in the, you know, ancient knowledge, you know, from the, whatever, Mesopotamian civilizations through the Middle Ages, they were seeing this, the world very much through air, uh, earth, fire, water. I don't think many knew about the ether. In the yoga, you know, in the Sankhya, ether is known, and they go all the way to mind, intellect, and false ego. But everybody has always seen the world through this lens of um, earth, water, air, and fire as the constituents of uh, reality, Plato and everything. So I was saying that in tarot, the earth represents the material world, the mundanity, the, the yes, let's say matter, and the air element represents divinity. And the human experience is right in between. Man is standing on earth, they function, we know, we eat the fruits of the earth, but we also have to breathe. 
and we're right in between because the human form is the the link between divinity and uh, animality so there are many forms that consciousness expresses itself sorry it's tropical birds and um, there are many animal bodies but the human body comes with a certain you know hard wiring and circuitry and hardware that allows us to experience our divinity and, and realize we're actually conscious we're units of conscious and there's more to this life of eating mating sleeping and def and defending and um, so man is right between earth and air now we talked about the earth and um, I realized which is my realization incidentally maybe in alchemy it was known all along you know like I said in the Middle Ages and in these uh, ways of analyzing the material world it was known all, all along but I realized that um, the element of earth corresponds to convergence to implosion so you can see that a solid the molecules are going towards a center or like sticking to one another to a point that they cannot even move anymore because in three-dimensional reality a molecule cannot be cannot interpenetrate another molecule and so I mean obviously material world doesn't mean only solid but um, let's go with physical so physical includes liquid um, you know fluids like gases and liquids and solids etc but like I said if we want to abstract everything to like the core essence uh, or, or to er archetypes then earth represents matter and air represents consciousness or the divine starting from a from a very base uh, point of view from the point of view of human uh, experience you know many people um, accept the theory that humanity evolved from the bottom up so at first they were all they could perceive they were it was the physical world and then they started to philosophize and you know once you have enough food and, and peace there is no war and you have abundance then you have time to just lounge and think and then philosophies and religions came about it may or may not be our vision of the world but starting from that point of view let's abstract the human being to 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 this to the link between the earth and the air and so and in general you can see the knowledge whether it comes down to us like we think about Oshea or it's like built up through our intellectual uh, prowess knowledge is for human you know it's uh, it's made for humans to take advantage of it so even the Bhagavatam it is said that there is a Bhagavatam the Bhagavatam is a message it's not a book it's not 12 cantos necessarily it's not as many volumes as the Srimad Bhagavatam comes to us given the language um, it's a message so there's a Bhagavatam teaching for the demigods for the you know you know the higher 
planetary systems where they have a, a finer intellect and then there's a Bhagavatam for the human experience and a Bhagavatam for the um, lower lower planetary systems, whatever that means. So it stands to reason that all the knowledge, all the analogies are given for humans to understand their humanity and transcend it. So going back to the analogy of earth and air, the land is very much something we have, we can experience. Man can walk ahead and backwards and left and right and all the directions in between. We can even go down into the earth, into the earth, earth into the water. It's the up that for centuries we didn't have any access to. So it stands to reason that if we, the symbology is, is clearer now how air represents the divine. So that's how I closed in the, in the previous lesson. So I started to realize what is the movement of air, you know. Air, earth seems to be no movement, no, yeah, let's go with movement. But it's actually implosion. Everything goes to the center. And so the earth, as the guru says, center yourself. But now air is exactly the opposite. The movement of air is expansion. And expansion means in all, you know, 360 degrees, in all directions. So uh, air goes wherever it wants, but mostly out. So expands. Take any liquid that's compressed in a, in a can and um, it will want to go out until it reaches. Excuse me. wonder if this is any better. It reaches um, the next limit. Limit. So if I have um, a, a can of compressed oxygen, or you know the can that you use to clean your your keyboard here, it's compressed in the can. The moment it goes out, yes, it cleans the keyboard, but then the the, the molecules of that particular gas expand. Given you know, uh, supposing that my cabin is airtight, it would expand and accommodate to the limits of this cabin. And it's because my cabin is not airtight, it would just expand, just keep expanding. Obviously, the molecules in a, any given gas or mixture of gases like our atmospheric air is, will be so far apart that they will, will, they will lose their identity. That's not the teaching of, of the air. If we were to see air as our guru, it's not lose your identity. If anything realize that you're compressed in a can of our physical experience of our body is like a can we're meant to be much bigger than the can so air is telling us to expand the very thought of air makes our body expand i made this uh, series of um classes on pranayama from a Gaudiya point of view and I try to squeeze as much uh, Gaudiya sensitivity f uh, out of pranayama which is actually very mechanical very much uh, going together with the yogic worldview which is um, you know not the same as ours in terms of seva and the, our relationship with the divine uh, as we conceive of it as uh, Bhagawan. But anyway, it was a nice um, um, endeavor and a nice, um, a nice um, exercise. And um, so I know that when people hear 
talks about breathing, the important about breathing, and their consciousness goes to breathing, everybody starts taking a deep breath. And whether we think about it or not, we all breathe without even thinking about it. It's just life. We cannot do away with breathing unless we're yogis and then we're taking advantage of the air, which is one of its teachings. We'll, we'll see that that's one of the teachings of air. So the very thought of um, air makes our body expand. But what does it really mean? You know, air is expanding. Okay, so from the physical point of view, I can expand my body, you know, through breathing, through eating. I can expand my family, my possessions, my wealth, my sphere of activity. But that's, if you think about it, that is not expansion. That is still the earth in us. The earth puts pushes it all towards the center. It's like mine, mine, mine. I increase my family. They're my family members. And, and I have more money in the bank. I have more land. We take the outside world and we want to push it all into this one point in space. As you know, in geometry, the point has zero dimension. So we want the whole world to fit in zero. This one point where we are, where we think we are, we don't even know who we are, given that we are identified with our body and the possessions of the body and the family relations and everything. So that's not how air is telling us to expand. We are asked to expand in consciousness. Our awareness of the world should expand. I'll give you an example. If I am aware that in, uh, where is it, Malaysia, the habitat of the orangutans is being uh, jeopardized severely by the mono monoculture of oil palm because people are trying, are trying to get palm oil out of every inch of land that they can so that somebody can have Nutella in, in Manhattan. Once I am aware, my, my consciousness has expanded to Malaysia and now it's become part of me and I'm like, oh my God, those orangutans. How can I eat Nutella made with palm oil? Whatever, making an example. So we should expand our consciousness. But what does it mean to expand our consciousness? Should we, should we be aware of everything, conscious of everything, keep it all in our, in our mind? Um, first of all, what I mean by expanding our consciousness is uh, that we, ha we start having a relationship because that's what consciousness does. It expresses itself constantly, whether it's through Swarup Shakti or Maya Shakti, spiritual energy or, or, or material energy. And then it expresses itself and then it relishes the relationship that comes from anything it's expressed itself through. And that relationship is called Rasa. Rasa means taste, juice, essence, and also relationship. So, um, we should expand our consciousness. The moment we are aware of something, we have a link and, and we start serving it. Like I said, the moment we hear about the orangutans, in a way, we're serving the orangutans because how can we um, allow these orangutans to be decimated and evicted from their own house so that I can enjoy Nutella? And uh, it's interesting, one day we'll, be, we'll have a talk about service, what service really means. 
because uh, smarana is a limb of bhakti. You just remember the Lord and you're serving Him. That sounds pretty comfortable, pretty easy. But, um, you know, in a way, whatever your mind focuses on, whatever your, minds rest on, your mind rests on, you start serving that reality, having an interaction. Let's stick with the word interaction. So, so here we are. The element air tells us expand, be like me, because you know these teachings in the Bhagavatam, these uh, twenty-four gurus, they either say be like me or do like me or don't do like me. So the air is saying be like me, expand. So I should expand my consciousness, and in my example of the gas, I'm going to expand my consciousness to the you know next limit. So do I have to expand my consciousness to the whole universe? We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of, of galaxies, not of stars, of galaxies that include hundreds of suns. And around each sun, there may be a, a planetary system like this one. You probably all ran into this, um, these images about the new um, telescope that has a much better um, resolution. And you can see galaxies that were just very nebulous before. They recently discovered a planet that's 75% uh, bigger than Earth and covered in water. There's water on another planet. And uh, we weren't aware of it before. For all intents and purposes, that planet didn't exist. So there is a correlation between what you're aware of and what matters. So if something may exist intrinsically, but it really exists to the extent that it matters to you as soon as you are aware of it. So I'll try my best to explain all this in the remaining 40 minutes. So does it mean that we have to be aware of thousands of galaxies? The universe is vast. Um, I'll give you a spoiler. When we with our consciousness, we expand to the limits of the universe, we will see ourselves. What? I'm getting very esoteric now. So, yes, we need to understand what the world means. I'm not talking in, a, in astronomical uh, terms, although it is still a way of, uh, of understanding it. This whole world is just an expansion of ourselves. You may be thinking, but we are 8 billion on Earth alone. In the same world, what does it mean? If it's an expansion of you, how is it an expansion of me? That's what I'm going to try to explain maybe in the next 10 minutes. So in yoga, did you ever notice or wonder how is it that a yogi, you know, at some point in the practice of yoga, you uh, develop, develop these uh, siddhis, mystical powers, where you can just manipulate uh, uh, the elements of matter, like Neo manipulates the matrix once he realizes, for those who've seen the movie, that this is all a matrix. It's, it's just a combination of elements, and it's all uh, fictitious, and I am the only thing that actually matters in here, and I'm much more powerful than this whole world, if it's starting to sound familiar. So, uh, a yogi... How does a, a yogi control the world with his or her siddhis? 
by controlling himself. They control, they control their bodies, most of all, their minds. As soon as they gain control over their selves, their um, immediate reality, they can control the whole world. So I hope it's starting to make sense. Think of Dhruva Maharaj. He stopped his breath at some point and the demigods were choking. I never understood that. They started to petition Brahma or, or Narayan or Vishnu himself because, uh, because um, Dhruva Maharaj was controlling his breath for thousands of years and ultimately he just held his breath and he just stopped. He had control over the whole air element in the whole uh, phenomenal world. And um, you would say that's his world, not the demigod's world. But that's <laughs> what I'm trying to explain. That. Um, so let's go back to this assumption. You control yourself, you control, you control the world. The world, ultimately, no matter how many planets, how many atoms, how many things seem out of our control, it's just a reflection of ourself. So in a way, reality is what you make of it. So there is an objective reality. As you know, I like to make this this uh, analogy with uh, virtual games, uh, virtual reality. There are games now where I can log in from here in Costa Rica. Somebody else can log in from log in from Vladivostok in, 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 in Russia, another one in Patagonia, another one in Alaska. And we're all in the same uh, world. Usually they're war games. So I see my hands. Well, you know, you would see your hands holding a, a, a rifle or something. And then the other player, I see the other player from Alaska. He has an, an avatar of sort. And I see him as that soldier with some, you know, a red dot. I'm like, oh, that's the Canadian player. And then I see another soldier coming there with a, a, a yellow dot. And I'm like, oh, that's the one from Patagonia. And some of them are my enemies and some of them are my allies. So we're all seeing the same world, right? It's all the same battlefield. But only I will see my own hands holding the rifle. And yes, if one of us dies, I say, oh, he died. The Russian guy will say he died and, and, and he will say I died. But it will never be the same experience. Only I have this experience of the world. So there is, for all intents and purposes, infinite universes because there are infinite jivas uh, existing. And we all experience the world differently. And it makes sense to us in a way that's unique to us. You know, uh, Srila Prabhupada makes the example of, um, of an ant on the Vyasasana or even on his uh, knee. He's saying both the ant and I are on the Vyasasana, but we don't have the same consciousness. I know that this asana is a conglomerate of uh, wood and cloth and, and uh, whatnot with a certain shape and a certain purpose for me to sit on and, and uh, you know, discuss the absolute truth. The ant doesn't even know the ant is on a piece of cloth on somebody's knee. They're just thinking food, 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 food. If nothing else, you know, I hope nothing comes to squash me. They have a totally different perception of the same world. So consciousness gives meaning to matter. And um, so, yes, you should think of you in the center 
of this bubble, you know, that the universe is conceived of as a bubble. And uh, everything that happens is just a reflection of you, your sensibility, your karma, right? Even in psychology, that's, they say that everything, everybody you dream of is uh, an expression of your subconscious. You think you're dreaming of your mother, you think you're dreaming of... Uh, Harry Cavill. I had a dream with Harry Cavill the other day. But um, they're all faces of your subconscious coming to you and you're interacting with yourself. If you think about it, that's what Mahavishnu does. He dreams, you, infinite universe come out of um, his pores and he's inside of each universe. And then he expands as all the jivas and it's just him interacting um, you would think that the spiritual world is uh, God's lucid dream and the material world is uh, his nightmare. But for all intents and purposes, this is all his dream, even if it's a bad dream. It's just him, not even him, let's just say consciousness taking infinite shapes, expressing itself in infinite ways, because that's what it does. It expresses itself. So in the world, you should think of you in the center of this bubble, and everything you see is a reflection. Uh, you know how Einstein, I'm not saying that that's the frontier of uh, scientific knowledge, but Einstein, the whole relativity theory is all about the speed of light, and he talks about the speed of light and then gravity, etc. So we are so used to seeing something and, you know, uh, we start from a physicalist uh, experience, obviously, it's, it's, it's the most immediate one. But then science says that actually, if this bottle is blue, it's because it's reflecting, it's absorbing all the light, but the blue one. So you're just getting a reflection of it. Even if you were in space, in total darkness, as it usually is, and you have the sun behind you, you see any planet, any little bit of asteroid, any debris from a satellite, only when the sun reflects on it and you can see its reflection. Otherwise, it's imperceptible. There's just no way to know it's even there. It's all darkness. So, um, sure enough, the material world is uh, called chaya. Chaya means shadow or reflection. It just depends on... The implication is that a shadow, a reflection is the shadow or the reflection of something. It depends on something of substance that it casts that shadow, right? So it's all reflections. This whole world, we may think, what do I have to do with that cloud? What do I have to do with that bird? It's all a holographic projection and the compendium of our karma from, you know, thousands of births and... Um, it, you could also see it in, in a passive way, like, you know, the bird is going about their life and, and, and burning out their karma. And, you know, if a tree falls, I will see it. Uh, Brajasundari will see it. My cat will hear it. Everybody will be like, ooh, a tree fell. But my experience of it will be different. So we make sense of matter. Consciousness makes sense of matter. And for all intents and purposes, we're all living in our different... Uh, personalize a uh, unique world because we are unique
And the same thing, you know, a tree falling, it could be a disaster for the bird that made its nest on that tree. It could be great for me because I'm like, oh, I can get the, the branches and chip them and make compost for my eggplants and offer them to Krishna Balaram. It could be, you see what I'm saying, consciousness makes sense of matter. Consciousness attributes meaning, significance to matter. Matter is just a backdrop. Like I said, it's a holographic, it's a holodeck, if you know anything about Star Trek. I don't know where the projectors are. Well, we are the projectors. We project the world. It's always a different reality. And that's why I said that when we get to the limits of the world, we will see that it's like an inverted disco ball. For those who are much younger or much older than me, a disco ball is a sphere covered in a mosaic of little bits of mirror that spins in a discotheque from the 70s. So the reverse would be that the universe is lined with the mirror and everywhere we look, we only see ourselves. Every interaction is, um, yes, with matter, but is with ourselves. Or let's put it in more karmic ways. Everything we push into the environment will come back to us. And that's why Sri Maharaj says the environment is friendly when he paraphrases that verse etc. Brahman says to Krishna, uh, I don't even remember the actual translation. That verse is famous, to me at least, through the rendition of uh, Sridhar Maharaj. The environment is friendly, which means many things. It means it's friendly, meaning that it's not inimical. You know, many times we blame the taxes, we blame the government, we blame the weather, we blame other people. I don't know you and who is going to, you know, um, log into this lesson if we manage to broadcast it. But when somebody leaves the movement or a certain mission, the, the fault is always, it's never them. It's because I was treated like that. It's because this wasn't quite in place and, you know, but the whole world, if we can read it, says, I'm not your enemy, I'm friendly, meaning I'm neutral. And, um, and you could see it as friendly because it's Maya Shakti. I don't like the Abrahamic approach to the world of like, you know, uh, or Manichaeistic of like there's good and evil, there's God and, and the devil, or there's Vishnu, there's Krishna and Maya. It's, it's, I don't find it healthy. Maya is pure and perfect. It's an energy of the Lord. And it's got a purpose. And, and she's our mother. Millions of Hindus worship Durga as the mother goddess, mother nature. Is it as high and complete as a worship as that of Govinda? No, nobody said that. But let's not go around and demonize anything. A lot of people say, I'm going to go on a tangent because it's a pet peeve of mine. A lot of people think that Shiva and Durga and Ganesha are demigods. They're not demigods. They're divine. They're expressions of God. Shiva is not different from, than, from Vishnu. And so Shakti is not different from, you know. Um, Durga is a name for both Radharani and Durga Devi, Maya Devi. And Ganesha is the son of them, and it is said to have a transcendental body. Even Brahma in this universe has a transcendental body, our particular Brahma. 
Demigods are Varuna, Agni, Surya, Chandra, Indra, etc. So even just for that, we should have the utmost respect for Durga Devi, Mother Nature, and the material, material energy of the Lord. It's Vishnu Maya. Let's not forget that. And Maya means mother. So our mother wants us to learn. She may show a stern face, but you know, a mother is friendly. A mother is holding us by the hand until we can walk ourselves. A mother is teaching us to te to, to 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 speak etc. And uh, it's given us uh, a womb at first and then a cradle and then, you know, safe space within the house so that we don't stick our, you know, hand in the drawer of, 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 uh, of knives. But mother always gives a protected environment. So that is the material world. Isn't it better to see it that way? It's not our, you know, ultimately we need, we need to leave our mother's house, right? But, um, Let's make let's take advantage of what is here. Like I said, we're taking advantage of the air element, of the earth. Every if you notice, all the five elements, the earth is our guru, the air is our guru, the fire is our guru, and water is our guru, and ether, the sun, the the moon. It's a way of saying the environment is friendly. You know, you could see the guru, and the guru could teach you all the way to transcendental knowledge. Uh, you know, a guru can just, you could have an impersonal guru who just teaches you about detachment or whatever. But the potential is there to take the, make, take the most advantage from the material world. So in that way, the environment is friendly, you could say. Or in the very least, it's neutral. You push out hatred in the world, and then it will look like the world hates you. But if you give, think of Mahaprabhu. He came to relish the highest love uh, you know the highest version of prema and how did you relish it by giving it out to everybody you know uh, the Muslims are very big on charity uh, it says um, I forget the word for charity in Islam but it's one of the pillars of Islam and and it's not like giving money it's like a, a smile Give a smile to somebody, to someone if you can. Make them happy. You've done something. First of all, you weren't focusing on me and mine. You were focusing on somebody else's happiness. But it's all about this giving. I give, he gives, she gives, we all give. And guess what? The world will give back to us. Even just from the practical consideration that, you know, she's also thinking that she needs to give. So she will give me a smile. She will give me any help I need, and he will give it to me, just like I gave it to everybody else. But also in an esoteric way, you push love into the world, love will come back to you. If you give, they say, uh, given is the real getting. So that's one way, you know, if you give charity, if you make somebody happy, you feel richer after, you feel bigger, right? Your consciousness expands. That's how the air is telling us, expand, expand your consciousness. But anyway, we went past that. Now we've ha we have expanded to the limit of the world and we see it's me. All this time, all the interactions were either coming back at me from something that I pushed into the environment before or they're the reflection of what I am now, what my mentality is now, uh, given, well, you know, all this, all these desires and actions, and then they all have repercussions, and they all 
pile up and up and up and up. That constitutes the world. Um, it's starting to rain. I hope it doesn't get too loud. So, as I saying, the limit of the world. But is that, can we expand any further then? Now we realize that the world is us. Huge teaching. The environment is friendly. So, you cannot change anybody else. Oh, the co-workers, the weather, the everything. Ultimately, if you want to make something good out of your life, you're like a, a farmer who is putting the fault on the seeds, the water or the rain, the lack of rain, the sunshine, too much sunshine, too little sunshine, and the ground. And that's what you got to work with, farmer. So the material world is there, and we consciousness attribute a different meaning to it based on you know how we tune into 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 the world like i said consciousness gives meaning to matter um but can we expand past the limits of the material world of course right that's what we're asked to do since the beginning and can we be big bigger than the world we are bigger than the world. That is, you know, the ultimate teaching of the air. Expands out of this holographic projection because you are meant for much bigger things than this. Um, there is, think of this, there is more blood in a drop of blood than in the whole of the Sahara Desert. Obviously, I'm not talking about the camels and the lizards and the pilgrim, you know, the, the nomads. I'm just talking about the sand. How much blood can you find in all the sand, the vast expanse of the Sahara Desert? And how much blood can you find in a, let's say, how much, how many red blood cells can you find in a drop of blood, in, blood instead? That should put into perspective the difference between spirit and matter. And matter. Each one of us, although atomic units of consciousness, each one of us souls are more important than the whole world, than the whole universe with all the galaxies I, I mentioned and all the things that go on. So I was saying, should we be aware of every planet and every galaxy? No, because it doesn't matter. It's um, just like none of none of the grains of sand in the desert no matter what shape they they uh they take given the wind and everything matter if we're looking for blood now we're not going to do much with a drop of blood but the potential is there that's what i'm saying uh, consciousness has an infinite potential and matter has zero remember last time i was saying that again the mesopotamians the greek they're um, numeral system was based on things you can count you know the human experience is you see it's very physical at first until you start to philosophize what you need to count is what's there the the heads of cattle the sacks of grain the taxes the children the soldiers but then in vedic mathematics they came with this concept of zero and infinite because you know we assume and we accept that it's a knowledge that came down from a, from a, you know, 
super mundane plane that the rishis in meditation had the experience of the world and then came you know to external consciousness and tried to translate it in words and numbers so through the arabs when zero and infinite made it into uh, western mathematics it, it totally assumed a different uh, broader dimension so um what was i talking about zero and infinite the potential oh, i was saying last time that the potential of matter is zero matter you remove every consciousness consciousness in this world it just collapses. it's called pradhana it's just the elements in their pure state it's like those balls that you those orbs that you shake and then you see oh look it's snowing on venice or something but then the snow will just fall and everything will just go back to rest that's what matters want to do don't stir me don't leave me alone i just want to it's all about balance whereas consciousness is all about infinite potential um and so consciousness comes to stir up matter and, and create a uh, an interference that's why we don't belong in this world we belong to infinite potential that can be manifested and pursued and here it's all about constricting it's all all everything wants to go back to the center back to back to equilibrium back to statis, um, static what's what do you call it? static staticness whatever stasis just leave me alone um so yes we are bigger than the world and we should behave like we're bigger than the world because if we don't it means we give power to the world to the material world oh she said that to me he said that they did this to me and this happened and the moment you allow the world to have the upper hand on you it means the world is more important than you is more powerful than you but remember we're talking about sand compared to a drop of life a drop of blood so that's ultimately the teaching of um, the air expand out of this material consciousness and realize you're bigger than the whole world i'll give you another example you know i usually give the example uh, going back to virtual reality because this is virtual reality for all intents and purposes uh suppose uh, somebody's uh, playing on the computer and the the mother of this guy teenager is like dusting in his room or sweeping and mopping and she hears the son saying oh no i died and you know in games you always have multiple lives just like here so say pac-man you 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 know you have three lives and then you need to put another coin if for those of you who are old enough but in general in video games you have more than one life you come back and back and back and um and then you die or i got wounded or jump jump and all these things and the mother sees, sees the son just sitting hearing something that is not there seeing something that is not there meaning in the room in the house what the mother sees is the floor to clean and the the you know the the, the furniture to dust and then when the son ends the game whether he's winning or not whether the game is over at any point he can turn off the game even the computer and nothing matters it's dinner time and now he goes back to the reality of like i'm in my house i'm having dinner with my family it doesn't matter who died who it doesn't matter if the game is going on with the other 
uh, gamers, because you know these games can be done online now, and um, you just log into that reality. It it has a different balance. The moment you're not invested in that game because it's dinner time, because you got you know a girlfriend or boyfriend to see something that matters more to you. That game is, goes. It's just electrons. It's just light. It's just pixels in your computer that you give meaning. You know, a cat wouldn't see. You know, whatever the game. I, I can't think of any game that we all know. But my cat could go in front of the monitor and not see. Oh, there is something that is going in a certain direction, and there is this obstacle and the enemy. It, it, that's why you know cats walk on, all over the keyboard. <laughs> but um, matter reality is what you make of it. It could be discussed from so many point of view, but I'm running out of time. Um, so yeah, we are bigger than the world, and the moment we don't recognize that, the world will be bigger than us. We will give power to the world that um, the world could... Uh, we will allow everything external to rule over our lives. Now, we were talking about earth and air. Let's do quickly a comparison between the past. Like, earth and air is like vertical. The earth is beneath us and the air is, you know, the sky is the limit, we said. But um, let's think in terms of past and future. Then the past would be the solid, what's already happened. Pa the, the, the material world is the world, that they call it the phenomenal world. The world of things that have already happened. The seed has already become a tree. The, the house is already built. The vase is already broken. It's uh, everything has happened. It's in the past. The future represents infinite potential, infinite possibilities. Like the air can go in all directions. Anything can happen. So a lot of people base their existence on the external world, on things that are already there, already happening, or that have already happened. Oh, my father treated me like that, and that's why I'm like this now. And so their future is constantly informed by their past, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. Whereas we should be like here, we should focus into the future, what hasn't happened yet, and, and pick and choose from the future and make that translate into our present, into our reality. Another thing that Sridhar Maharaj says is, judge a man, a man, a person, from their ideal. So, somebody may have done horrible things, but you're like, okay, whatever, they redeem themselves. Somebody may still be doing horrible things, but Sridhar Maharaj says, look at their ideal. Their ideal is the future, right? It's what they want to be, where they want to go, what they're trying to achieve. So they may be doing weird things now, but they're chanting Hare Krishna. They want to become the servant of the servant of the Vaishnava. They have faith in Krishna. That's how he was saying. Judgment for their ideal. And it's so generous, you know, it, it opens up our vision of the world as opposed to focusing on what's already happened. And he did that, and he did that, he did that. Just focus on what they did wrong. Because you want the world to behave like that with you. Like I said, you push into the world and the world pushes back. It's like you create pressure and then... You know what it's like? It's like those uh, fruit juices. Um, you know those little cartons of fruit juice? As a kid, I used to blow into the juice and then the juice would blow into my mouth and I would play like that. 
And I realize now that I have this like um, great realizations that when you suck on the juice, your face gets sucked. You see, it's exactly how the world is. If you suck from the world, then the world sucks for you. <laughs> Good luck translating that. But if you give to the world, if you send forth your love, your compassion, just give in any way, give of yourself to the world, then the world would be very generous and, and, and friendly towards you. So that's another takeaway. Um, well, I don't know what I was talking about, but a few more teachings, because we only have four minutes. Um, another teaching of the air is take advantage of me. You know, the air, as a guru says, take advantage of me. Because what is air? Air means life. Yes, we live on the land, we we're fruits of the land, we eat the fruits of the land, but we cannot breathe, you know. On the land, on the earth, we cannot take more than 50 steps if we cannot take another breath. So, air says, move up, do like me, come to become like air, expand your consciousness, re re realize there's something more than the land, than the earth, than the phenomenal world, and really... Um, take advantage of me because air means life and I usually say spiritual life is the only life it's uh, you know hard to put in words but I realized it many times any other life that's not spiritual life is just a waste of time it's just a, a sham so there's so much that I could say maybe I'll do this in two parts and um, because, you know, we have 24 months. You're not going to get rid of me. Maybe I'll just go on. I won't do a, a guru per lesson. I'll just keep talking and talking and talking as long as you're willing to listen uh, to my rambling. Then we'll just make it an ongoing thing. Because uh, it would be an injustice to talk about this in three minutes. Given that today I do have an audience, uh, does anybody have any questions or comments, anything that they haven't understood? Take advantage of the fact that um, it's live, that, that I'm here. Because uh, I do have this headache. I can see how I'm like, I look really tired and sick because I am. <laughs> we just had a month of, um, of uh, you know, devotees here. We had a week-long retreat uh, from Balaram Purnima to Jamashtami. And it's been very taxing. Gauru Sundar got COVID and I had to cover his cooking and... I had to, I'm working on a video course and a lot of work, so I'm really, really tired. So we're two minutes from the end. If nobody has any question, let's see if I can wrap it up. I can give you um, a preview on the teachings of the air. The air is saying expand, and that I had time to ex explain for the most part. How the air is saying expand like me and how that um, can uh, take, can uh, play out in our life as sadhakas or even just as human beings. The air also says, take advantage of me, and I guess next time we'll see what that means. It also says, no, I guess that can also be interpreted as take advantage of me. Okay, so next time we'll talk about the second teaching of the air. And then of course, air means wind. We'll see how air movement, so many things. I think we should give it um, two lessons. So I wouldn't even say what the next element is going to be because uh, 
Next time we'll be talking about the air more, maybe for a whole other hour. If I run out, run out of topics, we'll go you know, to the next uh, element. I hope you're not disappointed. And um, I'll see if I can upload this on YouTube sooner or later. I'm just glad that it's being recorded. All right, thank you all for your patience and um, interest. Go to Premanande. Hari Hari Bol.